What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast to be named later. My name is Chris Willis, and I'm again joined by my co-host Stephen Talbert. Stephen, hopefully there will be no trades completed during the recording of this episode tonight. But how are you doing? <laughs> I'm well, buddy. It's good to be back on with you. Yeah, that was fun at last week. It threw us off for sure, but that was fun. Just something to talk about, something real happening. And obviously, even since that day, we've had another much, much bigger trade that's gone down. So we've actually got real stuff to talk about. But yeah, Brad and Scott always complain about moves being done right after they, they do their show. And, and we had one done literally right in the middle. So we'll see if we can... Um, who knows? We might have it again tonight. It's that time of year. Yeah, they, uh, they, I think they were jealous a little bit because it happened right in the middle of our recording. But uh, I'll be honest, that wasn't fun. I didn't feel like we talked enough about Joe Jimenez. But I'll be honest, you know, we we were trying to almost finished and and just trying to uh, finish things out and keep it coherent and everything. It was tough, but uh, but you're right. We did have a big trade uh, Monday, and it was a surprising trade. I mean, it was something that we'd heard rumored and then was shot down, but the Braves acquired Sean Murphy, a catcher from the Oakland Athletics in a, in a three-team deal. Pretty significant. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of takes out there, but just to run down the deal, Braves sent William Contreras and, and Justin Uger to Milwaukee Brewers, Kyle Muller, Freddie Tarnock, Royber Salinas, and Manny Pena to Oakland. You know, I thought I was pretty excited about this. Maybe it was because it's just been a quiet off season. I thought it was a pretty big move. Murphy clearly was the biggest name catcher out there. Uh, but I'm interested what you thought about the deal. You know, three-way trades in baseball don't happen a lot. And so we don't really get a lot of opportunities to talk about them. But, you know, the first thing you always ask is, who is the best player in the deal? And where did he go? And that's often going to direct you in terms of, how to you know properly evaluate the deal. And the best player in the entire trade was Sean Murphy. Now, a lot of Braves fans don't know that because Sean Murphy plays in Oakland and you know a lot like Matt Olson, but even more obscure than Matt Olson. Unless you stay up till 10 p.m. when their first pitch is every night, then you don't have, you don't have any idea how good this guy is. And that's I think some of the confusion for the trade. The trade had a lot of confusing aspects, and we'll go over those in a minute. But I think the, probably the most confusing aspect is why the Braves would trade away William Contreras, who looked like an up-and-coming star for Sean Murphy, a relative unknown. And the reason is, is because in baseball circles, Sean Murphy is not a relative unknown. Sean Murphy is one of the best all-around catchers in baseball. He's got three years of team control. He just entered ARB for the first time, so he's dirt cheap. And anytime you acquire one of the best players at their position in the game and they have three years of control left at all relatively cheap prices, it's going to be expensive to acquire that player. And so, 
you know, where all the players that the Braves sent is what really made this trade weird. The best player that the Braves gave up was obviously Contreras. And so you would think because Oakland gave up the best player that the second best player that got sent would go to Oakland. But that's not what happened. It's it was, it's very, very strange. Oakland took a kind of a bunch of smaller pieces and somehow Milwaukee sweeped, you know, swept in at the last minute and grabbed the best return. And I, I, I still don't understand what Oakland was doing. I don't know why Oakland just didn't take Contreras. I know they already have Langoliers, but it's not like Oakland just has this plethora of talent, you know, that they, they can't have two good catchers and, and a DH. And, and even if you do end up not needing Contreras, you can always flip him for something. I, it's just a very weird trade for Oakland. And that's what threw people off. But from the Braves standpoint, they got the best player in the deal, and they got better at catcher. Even with Contreras and Darno and, and Manny Pena, which was a really strong catching core, the Braves now have a better catching core than they did before. And that's probably tough for people to understand. You know, they didn't really see catcher as a, a weakness or a spot that needed to be upgraded. And so, you know, some fans don't really view it as an upgrade. But make no mistake, other than just a handful of catchers, like JT Real Muto and not really many others, Sean Murphy is basically the best catcher in baseball outside of, you know, one or two guys. So, and the Braves have him for three years. And I guarantee you, just like Matt Olson last year, they were going to explore locking him up long-term. I guarantee you those talks have already happened. I'm honestly surprised we haven't heard it. I'm surprised they haven't announced it the way they usually do things. So that'll be in the cards at some point, but it was a good trade for the Braves. It wasn't a great trade. It wasn't like a home run trade. They still had to give up Contreras. Contreras is still extremely valuable. So it hurt. And that's where a lot of fans were feeling. They were hurt by the fact that, you know, Contreras was a, a star player or potential star player, but he wasn't the catcher that the Braves wanted defensively. And the Braves have some very s- specific guidelines for their catchers. And, and Sean Murphy fits those much, much more to a T. And so it was a good deal for the Braves. It wasn't a great deal, but it was a, it was a good deal. The Braves definitely got better and they got the best player. You know, I was on the call when Alex, Alex Anthopoulos was talking about, um, uh, about the Murphy trade and you know he he admitted that you know it was hard it's always hard to uh, to trade one of your own you know obviously William Contreras exceeded all expectations last year at the plate I think you and I have talked plenty of times we thought he should have been the everyday DH although it's hard to do that and uh, and you know have any time behind the plate as well so I don't think it was easy at that but it was interesting listening to the timeline of this you know the day one of the winter meetings it came out that the Braves were the front runners and and um Anthopoulos said that he hadn't talked to Oakland in a long in, in a while, you know, and they had uh, they did check in with him, but you know it was more due diligence. So they check in on a lot of guys over the weekend. It seemed like that things changed. You know, he said the first time they talked to Oakland, it just didn't line up. It made you made you think that they were probably asking for somebody like Von Grissom or you know somebody else. But you know, once the Cardinals signed Wilson Contreras to that big free agent contract, it was like ch- things changed for Oakland. And just reading reading through Ken Rosenthal's article where he talked about the timeline of the deal, it seemed like Oakland kind of looked at Esturi Ruiz from Milwaukee outfielder. You know, I know a lot of things are kind of split on him. Actually, you know, he's kind of a throwback guy, a lot of speed. Uh, but it was somebody that they wanted, and um, you know, the Braves went to Milwaukee to see what they could, what they would have to give uh, to get him. Got Eric, got the Brewers in the, involved in the deal. It was a strange deal for Oakland, like you said, though. You know, I know I got a lot of pushback on, on Twitter because of Kyle Muller. You know, Baseball America had him as their number one 
number one prospect, but I think part of that's just because Mueller's been around for so long, and all the guys in front of him have either graduated or got traded. And Freddie Tarnock, obviously, is pretty good. Uh, it's a good arm. And Salinas had threw up big-time strikeout numbers in the, in the lower levels. But, I mean, it is interesting. I thought it was interesting that the Braves were able to get Sean Murphy without giving up Von Grissom, without giving up Darius Vines, without giving up Jared Schuster, you know, just all around, I just thought it was a good, it was a good, you know, it's one of those deals. They probably weren't looking to upgrade catcher, but when the opportunity presented itself to get Sean Murphy, then, you know, it was a deal that they thought it was worth making. That was, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty, I, I, I liked the deal. I think they're a better team today. You know, time will tell. Obviously there's still some work to be done this off season, but I thought this was a big move and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's not the big left fielder or the shortstop, but, they improved their catcher position, and, and that's hard to do when you consider how good the catcher position was last year. And I do think some people have this notion in their head that the Braves took a step back offensively. Kind of the narrative that I saw about the deal was that, you know, Sean Murphy is a better defensive catcher, but Contreras is a better offensive catcher. And I would just caution people to remember that, uh, well, a couple things, really. First of all, Contreras had a, like, 350 batting, batting average on balls in play last year. And he also had like a 27% home run per fly ball rate. And both those numbers are massive outliers versus what normally happens in, in terms of expectation to the mean. And if you look at projections, and I look at projections all the time because I, I value them. But, you know, next year, I think Steamer has William Contreras at like a 114 WRC plus as a projection next year. And I think Steamer has Sean Murphy as a 113 WRC plus projection next year. So there's not as big a difference in their offensive profiles as it might look on the surface. You know, Contreras had a really, really good year last year, but some of that was fool's gold. And I think Alex and his team saw a chance to sell high uh, because, you know, Contreras runs a really, really high ground ball rate and it didn't sting him as much because such a high percentage of his fly balls left the ballpark. But, you know, you can't always count on that. That's not, that's going to regress. And, you know, he's not going to run a 350 Babbitt, you know, every year. And so, you know, Sean Murphy's got a much more established, a much more um, steady and stable offensive profile. And, you know, at the end of the day, it would not surprise me at all to see Murphy have the better offensive year than Contreras next year. Although Contreras is playing, you know, are really good hitters park now, so that could help him a lot. But so is, you know, Murphy's moving from, you know, probably the worst hitting park in baseball to one of the best, so or at least a neutral one in, in Atlanta. So I, I would caution people against overestimating Contreras' offensive abilities based on what happened last year. There were some pretty big red flags about whether or not that would continue, at least at that rate. And I do think people underestimate Murphy's offensive value because, again, he's in Oakland and you don't really see it, but... You know, he had 22 home runs last year, I think. I think he's projected for 21, 22 home runs again this year. So he's got power, you know, and he's a good hitter. So, and most importantly, he is an elite defensive catcher. And that's something Contreras definitely wasn't. So even if their offensive profiles are the same, Murphy is such a good defensive catcher that that's, you know, that's why people like myself and you, Chris, and and others have said, you know, this was a, this is a good deal. This is a good trade for the Braves. It doesn't seem like that. I get it. Because Contreras was so popular, but Murphy's a better player. He's the best player in this deal, and I still don't understand why Oakland did what they did. I don't, I don't know why Milwaukee needed to be involved in this trade at all. I don't know why they just didn't take Contreras, but that's that's their problem. The Braves got the best player, and like you said, they're better today than they were the day before they made the trade. 
Yeah, I mean, Murphy had 18 home runs last year, but I mean, one thing one thing that was really jumped out at me, he had 37 doubles, you know, and yeah. you feel like, and I, Oakland's really tough on right-handed hitter. So, you know, you kind of really feel like that, um, you know, he's going to benefit coming to Atlanta. But, you know, again, we've all talked about the offense, and I think that's the thing that jumps off the table at you for William Contreras. But Alex said it the other night. It was like, you know, the Braves, the Braves value the game planning. They value the framing. They value the throwing. They value um, how you can handle a pitching staff, and then they value the offense. And, you know, I mean, that's that's pretty cut and dry right there. You can look at Travis Darno. You know, he checks most of those boxes, not the throwing. You know, he doesn't control the running game the same way that Murphy does. You know, I think Contreras had gotten a lot better behind the plate than what we saw those first first season up when he was he got to the majors. But, you know, I, think, I don't think he was ever going to be – you know, in the same class behind the plate as Darno or, or Murphy. Now that may not matter if it, you know if the bat plays as well as it did last year, but I agree with you. I think there's some you know it's 300 plate appearances. I mean that's not a small, terribly small sample, but I, I think that, you know he would have been one of the question marks coming into this season. Like, can he duplicate those numbers? You know, or do those numbers take a hit? You know, so I understand the angst. It's tough when you see a guy come through the system and and get moved and you know and i kind of feel the same way about kyle muller here was the thing that really jumped out at me and that's just why i kind of thought kyle muller might get dealt this off season was if you'll remember last year when spencer strider went on the on the injured list you know it was bryce elder that went into the rotation muller was healthy muller was pitching at gwinnett and elder stayed in the rotation for, you know through the end of the regular season i thought that was a little telling honestly it just kind of signaled that muller was behind elder in the in the pecking order and then you've got ian anderson and mike soroka as well go a little deeper and you've got jared schuster dylan dodd darius vines not that far back you know muller would have been after this season would have been out of options he didn't have anything left to prove in triple a you know so i thought it was i thought it was time kind of for him you know, at that point. But, you know, were you surprised that, uh, I mean, Alex said that the the A's targeted Ruiz from Milwaukee, Kyle Muller uh, from Atlanta. Those were, there wouldn't have been a deal without those two in in it. He even said that Muller almost went in the Matt Olson deal or was discussed in the Matt Olson deal. You know, are you, am I off base here? I mean, you know, it looks like it's going to be a, a pretty healthy competition for that fifth starter spot, but I didn't really feel like Mueller had a chance to go to spring training and come out as the fifth starter, not given all the competition that he's got. No, I wasn't surprised that Mueller was traded. I thought all offseason Mueller had a chance to be traded. You know, once you get to a certain point, and he had a good year in AAA last year, and, and you know, Alex might have seen this as an opportunity to sell high on a good year in AAA and because, you know, once you put him in the majors – he struggles, then that value goes away. And I think he saw an opportunity to sell high on both Contreras and Muller, quite honestly. And so he took it, and he took it for an established guy. And I, I wasn't surprised at all. The Braves have a kind of a, I don't want to say a, a, a weirdly large amount, but they have an unusually large amount of kind of these AAA, you know, 4A quasi-major league starters. And I thought that they would trade from that depth this offseason, especially if they couldn't get what they wanted in the free agent market, and so far they haven't. Obviously, they haven't really done anything in the free agent market. But So no, I wasn't surprised at all. And with Max and Strider and Wright and Morton, you know, there's not a ton of rotation spots available. The fifth starter spot will be available, but the Braves have plenty of guys that can still fill that spot. And, you know, the offseason is not over either. They could still add somebody if they wanted to. So 
I wasn't surprised at all, nor did I disagree with it. I would have traded him too. After the good year that he had last year in AAA, his value was probably never going to be higher. And, you know, I think Alex sold sold high. Yeah, and I want to talk here in a minute. I want to talk about Murphy and, and Darno and how this catcher's thing is going to be uh, split up. But one, you know, one last thing kind of about the minor league system, you know, obviously the Braves – I think they had a bottom five system last year. I thought they had a really good draft. You know, a lot of times you see these guys that have been in the system for a while. Those are your top prospects when you look at these rankings. But, you know, none of those guys that were traded are top 100 prospects. You know, they they rank high in the Braves system because the Braves have a, a lower a lower tier uh, system in, in, as far as the rankings go. You know, I thought it, I think it's important that you look – you look to those guys that were in that draft last year, you look to the international free agents, you know, the guys at the lower levels, that's where they're rebuild. They're going to be rebuilding this system. It's not going to be with this triple a depth. You know, if the Braves make another trade this off season, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Jared Schuster, Vines, Dylan died. You know, if it's some of those guys that are already bubbling up to that triple a level, you know, those are the guys you trade. I don't think you're going to see them, you know, the Owen Murphys, the, you know, some of the top, the J.R. Richies. I don't think they want to deal those guys because that's what they're going to try to replenish the minor league system with. So, you know, but I, I thought that was the reaction was as I expected. I mean, you know, you hate to see these names that you've been reading about for forever, you know, moving on before you even really got much of a taste of them. But at the same time, they're none of them's top 100 prospects, not anymore. You know, there was a time Muller was in there, but he fell out of it and he hasn't been back. And, uh, you know, I think to get a guy the caliber of Sean Murphy without having to give up a top 100 prospect, that's pretty good. You know, it's you can't ask for much better than that. Well, and to take that point one step further, even if they were, let's just say hypothetically, let's say Kyle Miller was, you know, number 87 and MLB Pipeline's top 100, it still doesn't mean that's where the Braves have him internally ranked, right? I mean, even if you are a part of one of these public prospect lists and, you know, you're at a certain ranking, that's just that particular site's opinion that has nothing to do with the Braves opinion you know even if Kyle Muller and you know Freddie Tarnock were top 100 prospects if the Braves don't think that if the Braves don't have them rank that high in their own system then that's all that really matters at the end of the day it's not like the Braves are consulting Baseball America to see which prospects they can trade they they every organization does an internal evaluation of their own prospects and has them ranked and accordingly and there's a there's actually a pretty interesting idea behind the notion that once a team trades a prospect, you probably should actually start to think less of that prospect because no team knows them better than the team that just traded them away. And if you've actually they've actually done research on this and kind of gone back and through and looked and there actually is a, a penalty that gets added to prospects who have been traded because they tend to not do as well as prospects that don't get traded because their team the teams that decided to trade the trade them know them the best and you know it doesn't always work out that way sometimes you really do just have to give up really good talent to get good talent but you know when a team is willing to trade a prospect you always need to ask yourself why and because guys like Ronald Acuña Jr they don't get traded teams don't trade those guys but guys like Kyle Muller they get traded all the time and when a team has had a guy in its organization for a long long time and decides that it's time to trade him that in itself is a question that you should ask. And so people get way too stuck on these prospect rankings and lists and, you know, they got our number one guy or we got their number one guy. Like none of that matters. Honestly, none of it matters because it has nothing to do with how the team sees these players and the teams aren't going to publish what they think internally of these players, obviously. So I, I, I tell people all the time, I said this, I think a couple of shows ago, but 
if I if I if I was recommending it, I would just tell people not even focus on that. Not don't focus on top 100 rankings. Don't focus on public prospect lists because it's just it's fool's gold. It's just for clicks. It's not actually going to tell you any informative you know pieces of information. So, but yeah, I I, ha- I had no problem with the trade. I really like the trade. I love Sean Murphy, and you know the Braves are better, and that's really kind of all that matters at the end. And that's a good point you made. I remember, I, remember, I think it was a trade deadline last year. You know, I was uh, kind of pushed back on the the thought that the Braves didn't have a you know ranked one among the league's worst in, in farm system. He's you know he alluded to their internal rankings, and I mean you can look at guys like Michael Harris, Spencer Strider as as examples. Neither were ranked high. Both of them, I think, were. Well, one of them was a top 100 prospect, and I think Strider was just on the outside. And, you know, look what happened with them last year. So, you know, it, it is interesting that they, they kind of do their own ranking, and they do that for the whole league, you know, and that's that kind of that shows where they're at. But you're, you're, de- you're exactly right. I mean, you know, they know the guys better than anybody else, you know, and that's worth keeping in mind. Last thing on Murphy here, I think the playing time split, see how the Braves utilize him and Darno. He had a heavy workload in Oakland, obviously, especially until Shea Langoliers uh, got called up last year. He ended up catching, I think, 116 games at catcher, spent 30 more at DH. I think the playing time split's going to be interesting. Murphy today said that, you know, obviously he wants to play as much as he can, but he's going to, he sees him and Darno being a good combination. Uh, said Darno was one of the first people to call him after the trade was uh, made, welcoming him to the team. He's looking at it like a much more of a unit. You know, Alex mentioned a lot that both of them could be in the lineup with the DH and that they may utilize that at some point, which I thought was interesting because, you know, their DH is still uh, still on the team, on the roster right now, you know, in Marcelo Zuna. So uh, it'll be interesting, but, you know, how do you, what do you think about the playing time split? I mean, I, obviously you're going to want Murphy behind the plate as much as possible. But, you know, Darno's proven as well that, you know, he's a solid contributor back there too. So, you know, I think it's a good problem to have. Yeah, I mean, depth is never a bad thing. I, I do think Murphy will play more than Darno. Murphy's the better player. Murphy's also younger. I don't have a lot of confidence that Darno is going to stay healthy for 162 games. And I think at some point, you know, he'll land on the IL and Murphy will be the main guy and they'll call up whatever player they have in AAA to, to back up. But I, I I think Murphy's going to probably end up playing. It won't. I don't think it'll be a 50-50 split. It'll, I think it'll be more like 65-35, something like that. Um, I think it's going to be kind of a two to one playing time split just because Murphy is that much. I mean, Murphy is a lot better than Darno. You know, I know Snit loves Darno and Darno is a team leader and has been with the team for a long time now. And I love Darno. There was all this talk today about Dave O'Brien about trading Darno. And I, I just, I, I tweeted this out. I don't see it. I don't, they, they absolutely love Darno. I mean, they love him. They think he's a tremendous leader. And especially if Dansby's gone, you know, they're going to need leadership. And so. You know, Darno is going to be on the team, and you know his presence is is going to matter a lot. But on the field, Murphy's better. Murphy's a better player, and so I'm I'm very much in the kind of two to one. When you play in Atlanta and you play in the Atlanta summer and, and you know 95 degree heat, no catcher can play 150 games. You know, catching that just not that's not in the cards when you play in Atlanta. But 120, I think, is probably doable for Murphy, you know, probably catch 115, 120 games, kind of like he did last year with Oakland and then DH some, um, maybe, maybe a little less, maybe like 110, but I don't think it'll be 50, 50, like it was with, you know, Contreras and Darno or 
Flowers and Suzuki or, you know, however far you want to go back. The Braves have had these tandems for so long, but Murphy's the best catcher they've had in the Anthopolis era. They've always done kind of catcher by committee because they haven't had an elite guy. Well, they have that now. They have an elite catcher, and so he's going to play. You don't give up William Contreras. You know, you don't give up five years of cheap William Contreras to sit a guy on the bench for 81 games. He, he's going to play, and so and that's how it should be. And I know Brian, or I know Alex says, you know, the lineup card is Snit's decision, but trust me, Murphy's going to play. He's going to play a lot, unless he's hurt. Then he's he's going to be out there, I think. And again, I think it'll probably be somewhat something close to a two to one split on on playing time. Something Murphy pointed out today, he thought you know having Darno there, that's going to keep them both healthy and upright and fresh, hopefully for a long pennant race type of uh, season there. So all in all, I thought his trade was a win. I think uh, once a lot of these Braves fans that are upset now get a look at Murphy and and see what he brings behind the plate, I think they're going to agree too. But. Uh, I tell you what, let's take a break and uh, we'll come back and talk about the shortstop market, which has just gone bananas of late. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, free agency has been wild. Uh, I know it's been kind of quiet for the Braves uh, up until, you know, this week, but we came into the offseason with four big name shortstops and Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, and Xander Bogarts. All three of those guys got huge, just absolutely huge deals. And I'll be honest, you know, they got more than what I was expecting, honestly, uh, when you look at the group. Because, you know, I think I had Correa, Turner at the top. Bogart's a little closer to Dansby Swanson. But Turner got 11 years, $300 million from Phillies. Correa yesterday got 13 years, $350 million from the Giants. Xander Bogarts, I think, was the biggest surprise. 11 years, $280 million from the Padres. A few seasons ago, we thought all these long mega offers were going away, and everybody pointed at Albert Pujols' contract with the Angels. It was kind of, you know, it was just a terrible deal. And he got out of, you know, obviously he ended on a good note with the Cardinals this season. But, I mean, the, for his entirety with Los Angeles, he wasn't great. You know, it was kind of a cautionary tale. But here we are, you know, you, you're seeing these long long deals to keep that average annual value value down our, our teams have teams lost it i mean i don't know I'm, I'm i'm happy that the players are getting paid but you know some of these some of these contracts are bonkers especially for guys that are you know almost 30 years old i mean i think i read today i haven't looked at it but yeah carlos correa is going to be 41 years old when this contracts when this contracts up yeah it's um i mean the the market exploded i read every stitch of paper that comes out about like free agent projections uh, we have kind of four or five sites that do them every year and they they tend to be pretty accurate so I, I look at them quite a bit just to see kind of the general idea of where everybody's going to be and no one not a single site had these kind of numbers with Turner getting 11 years Correa getting 13 years you know Xander getting 11 years and that's the thing it's really the years cuz they you know if you look at the AAVs on these deals you know Turner got 27 Correa got 27 Xander's at like 25 which is perfectly in line i mean that's perfectly normal but 
it's the it's getting 11 years and 13 years when you're 28 29 you know almost 30 years old that's just bananas and i read something today that you know these front offices are handing out these 13 year contracts because i mean what the hell are the odds that that same front office is going to be have that same job in 13 years and it's going to be someone else's problem and i thought that was funny and very true cuz for most of these guys who are handing out these deals by the time that bill comes and you got to pay a 40-year-old, you know, shortstop 27 million dollars who's who can't hit anymore, you know, the odds are you're probably not going to be the GM of that team anymore. And so I don't know if that's the thinking, but you know, it exploded. It absolutely exploded and I thought for my money, I thought Correa's deal I think Correa is the best player out of the bunch and so I I understand it more with Correa because, well, one, the Giants don't have a ton of money. You know, they don't have these other deals like, you know, Philly and, and Trey Turner. They have Harper. They have, they have, they also have to pay Bryce Harper until he's 40. And then the Padres have Machado and the Padres have um, Tatis and, you know, and now they have, you know, Xander and they're going to be paying multiple guys into their forties. And, and for the Giants, at least, you know, this is their one kind of one off and, Korea makes them a lot better today than they were the you know before they signed him. So, I I didn't mind that one as much because I thought Korea was the best player, and I think Korea is also the youngest of the bunch, so that helps as well. But all of these deals are just wild and, and good for the players, man. You know there was a there was a five year stretch there for being a, a major league free agent was not fun. Owners were extremely stingy, and you know it was all leading up to these CBA negotiations that finally concluded last year and and I think the owners knowing that there's not a CBA for a while they just kind of let loose and Steve Cohen has come in and and shaken things up and you know the Padres have gone crazy and the Phillies have gone crazy and you know that's good for the players it really is I don't know if it's smart but it's good for the players so and it's fun it's entertaining I mean I'd much rather see this than you know us having to drag every single one of these free agencies into January just so every team can squeeze out you know the last nickel they can um it's definitely much more entertaining but and I'm glad I don't I'm not the one that has to pay you know 40 year old Trey Turner 30 million dollars um but good for the players it went way bigger than we thought and and how it affects Dansby is obviously the the big segue question I mean you mentioned the Padres you know they've got that. I think there's a good chance Machado opts out next year, but you know they're sitting there with Juan Soto too. And I mean, what's he going to get? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, when you yeah. look at this, I mean, yeah. And I mean, you know, and then Tatis situation. You know, I don't. I mean, if they traded him right now, they might be able to find somebody to take that contract, but they'd be selling low on him. You know, so they kind of need. You know, I don't know if they can keep all these guys and Soto, even if Machado uh, opts out. But you know, they kind of need Tatis to have a big season where they can at least open up the possibility that they could trade him, you know, or something if they, if they want to go that route. You know, I, I'm just speculating there. But I agree with you. I was a little surprised it took so long to get Correa to the Giants. As, uh, it seemed like the Giants were really in on Aaron Judge until the last minute. Uh, I just figured they'd pivot quickly to Carlos Correa. Yeah. So, you know, it was interesting. I wasn't terribly surprised when, it, you know, it came out yesterday at San Francisco and then, of course, Trey Turner, we knew he wanted to come back east. And, uh, you know, I think we already talked about him on his thing. You know, a couple of things, though, it, it's really interesting. We've talked at length about all these uh, long-term deals that the Braves have hand, handed out. It makes these contracts here make them look even better. I mean, especially, uh, you know, when you look at Ronald's uh, deal or even Austin Riley. 
you know, they've capped all these guys out at, you know, 22, $23 million, even less when, you know, when it comes to Acuna, you know, I, I remember seeing somewhere when they got Matt Olson last year, I mean, there was like, well, you know, this is going to be a bad deal because in two seasons, he's going to be a free agent and he's going to, you know, cost twice as much as Freddie would have. And, you know, and they lock him up the next day to a, a, a pretty team friendly deal. It's a lot of money, but you know, again, in that $22 million, um, average annual value level. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting as far as that. And, uh, you know, I think you're right coming in first year in UCBA, they tend to lift the purse strings a little bit, but, uh, you know, I tweeted this out tonight. I thought it was interesting. I mean, I know the Braves have been quiet and it makes for a restless fan base, but as of today, the Braves have a bigger payroll than the Los Angeles Dodgers. And, you know, I mean, it's December 14th. Spring training doesn't start tomorrow. But the Braves have uh, $196 million. Uh, that's just not the competitive balance tax number. This is just actual payroll, according to roster resource at Fangraphs. The Dodgers are at 185 You know, both teams still got to have things to do. I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't know if it'll end up that way. But I don't think I ever really dreamed that we'd see another, uh, see a situation again where the Braves had a higher payroll than the Dodgers. Yeah, and, you know, I, I am interested long-term what expanded playoffs does to spending. Obviously, this year it's it hasn't mattered because teams just went bananas. But as teams kind of realize this new playoff format and, you know, the Dodgers are one of the smartest teams in baseball, when you have so many teams making the playoffs and everybody's playoff odds, even if you're one of the very best teams, everybody's, you know, the best team's playoff odds or World Series odds are like 15%. Once the playoffs start, and that's not very much. And so I wonder if the Dodgers have kind of discovered that, you know, it doesn't matter how much money they spend, their playoff odds aren't going to be that much greater than anybody else's. So, you know, they might as well get under the tax. Um, and I, I, I would not be shocked in a few years after we've had a bunch of seasons of, of these new playoffs with more teams getting in and, and therefore everybody's odds going down. If, if teams decide, you know what? adding this extra player and going over the tax isn't actually going to increase my World Series odds all that much, and so I'm just not going to do it. And that, that was my concern. I, I talked about this a lot on Twitter before they decided on expanded playoffs that, you know, if you water down the playoffs too much, if you if you make it too random, then teams are going to lose the incentive to build great teams because great teams aren't what's going to win in October. Randomness is going to win in October. And you know, the Phillies making a run to the World Series last year just kind of illustrated that even more. And I really would not be surprised if in a few years teams realize that with all these teams making the postseason and it being more random than ever, you know, it's not really worth going crazy on your roster because it's not going to add that much in terms of, you know, expectancy of winning a World Series. So, And the Dodgers would obviously be one of the first teams to do that because the Dodgers run one of the smartest front offices in baseball. So... I don't know if that's what this is. I think there's some other stuff at play, you know, the Trevor Bauer stuff that we talked about a little bit in Slack. But, um, yeah, that is interesting. I, I definitely didn't realize that until you tweeted it. I think the Trevor Bauer thing's hanging over them a little bit, too, and, uh, you know, that they could end up having to pay part of his salary, from what I understand. And if they do, then, it you know, it would add to their tax bill. They're waiting to see how that comes out. But, you know, talking to my friend Eric Steven, you know, there's no really, really no timeline for it. They don't know when it's going to happen. So, um, you know, it kind of puts them in a tough spot, but they may take this as an opportunity to, you know, reset that tax. Um, those, those yeah. repeater taxes right here and, uh, and move forward. But, you know, again, like I said, 
you know, we were during the lockout, we, uh, we spoke on behalf of the players, you know, it's a player's league. I'm happy they're getting money. Uh, I'm happy they're getting, um, getting paid. They deserve it. But you know, these 11, 13 year deals are surprising that, you know, there's no, no way around, uh, around that. You know, you and I talked a few weeks ago, uh, kind of about Dansby Swanson and his market, um, you know, I felt like he was probably always going to be the last shortstop to sign. And, uh, you know, just seeing what's happened in front of him, I think he's in a great position now because the spending's gone through the roof and there's a lot of teams out there that need a shortstop still. And, uh, you know, and he's the he's the biggest name left. Buster Olney tweeted today, you know, the Cubs, Twins, Red Sox, and Braves all need a shortstop. We know the Cubs have been reportedly involved with Swanson. Uh, all along. Uh, I'm not really sure what the Twins do now after losing Correa, but we know the Cubs will spend at times. They may they may cut uh, payroll two or three years down the road, but you know they are they are they appear to be willing to spend. You know, just I mean, it's a great you know it's a great situation for Dansby, don't you think? Yep, he's in the catbird seat now. I mean, he you know we talked about this one or two episodes ago, but about how. The smartest thing for Dansby to do would be to wait until all these other guys signed and the five or six teams left without a shortstop all having to bid on him, you know, was probably the best, the the best way to get the most money. Um, if that's, you know, you never know if that's the goal, but that would at least appear to be the goal to get the, the, the biggest contract offers you can get. Um, and I think he's in that situation now. I think Minnesota is desperate. I think they, they put a lot of eggs in trying to convince Correa to come back after the after his one year there and they're they're in kind of an I was reading a bunch of stuff on them today just cuz I was interested in it but they're they're in kind of a no man's land where they can't really go backwards so they just kind of have to keep pushing forwards with these this group of players that they have and I wouldn't be surprised if they went a little bit crazy on Dansby um I wouldn't be surprised if the Cubs did the Red Sox have Trevor Story still and I I know he didn't play shortstop last year obviously with Xander there but I don't know if it's as as desperate for them. Uh, they also have Jeter Downs, who they got in the the Mookie Betts trade. So I wouldn't be surprised if they played a, a little bit more conservatively. And then the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been reported as a team interested in, in Dansby just because obviously they lost Trey Turner and Freddie's there, and and obviously Dansby and Freddie are close. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. That I mean, would you be surprised at all if Dansby ended up on the Dodgers? No, and I think we talked about that too. You know, it seems like a logical fit because we knew they weren't going to get Trey Turner. You yeah. know, they weren't going to keep Turner. So I would not be shocked at all if the, if the Dodgers get in this. You know, I think it was funny. You know, we were talking about those, uh, the Trevor Story and the Javier Baez contracts, the 140s, you know, as a good marker for Swanson. But I think he's going to get more than that now. And, yep. um, you know, and, and, uh, I think he's set up in a in a, a solid position now where he may get a year or two more, even two more seasons uh, of a contract than than what we originally um, predicted. So, you know, it's I, like I said, uh, you'd love to see him come back to Atlanta. That's a good story. It's going to hurt a lot of people's feelings, but you know, I mean, he's in a he's in the position that you dream to be in. You know, when you're a player and. Um, you know, and I mean, I can see somebody taking a little less money to stay in Atlanta, but you know, with some of the numbers that's being thrown around, you know, you can't fault him if he ultimately decides to take the biggest offer that he gets. You know, I got asked this yesterday, and I want to, I want to see what you think, and I, I've got an answer too, also. But um, you know, does it, it kind of feels like 
that the Braves know the writing's on the wall with Swanson at this point. You know, I said today in Slack, I don't expect them to do anything major until Swanson signs, until they're told that, you know, he's not coming back. Uh, but it has felt that way, and it seems like every time Alex talks to the media, it seems like it gets a little closer to that. But have you, have you had that similar feeling? Yeah, I actually wrote about this today on the site, but, you know, it's felt every every single day of the offseason, it's felt less and less likely that Dansby would resign with the Braves. And I'll be honest, it, it never felt like a great chance to begin with just because they had had so long to negotiate and, and still hadn't come up with a deal. And, you know, typically adding another 29 teams to the process isn't going to help that. So I agree. I, I I felt for a while that the Braves are not the favorites to sign him. I still don't think the Braves, the Braves are the favorites to sign him. I think the Cubs or the Twins is probably who I would handicap right now. If I had to bet on it, Dansby Swanson would not be the opening day shortstop for the Braves in 2023. The thing I'm interested in, and I tweeted about this today, is I want to see where Dansby's contract comes in relative to the other three. And this is something you and I have talked about a bunch over the last few weeks or months, but the other three big shortstops all got these massive deals. You know, the other three shortstops are also much better hitters than Dansby. And and so I I do want to see, you know, I want to see a, a data point on where teams value defense relative to offense at shortstop because obviously shortstop is the second or third most important defensive position in the game and and so if you're ever going to have a position where defense can at least get close to offense and value it'd be a shortstop but even with that I I think there's going to be a pretty sizable gap between what Dansby gets and what these other guys got I don't think he's going to get 25 or 27 a year I don't think he's going to get 10 or 11 years I think he's going to be more in the 20, 21 range and probably the more of like the seven, seven range in terms of, in terms of years. So I am interested to see exactly, you know, because it'll be a good data point for how teams value offense versus defense and and something we can use kind of going forward and, and different examples, you know, in the future. But I am interested to see what Dansby gets. I don't think it's going to be with the Braves. I think the twins will probably go crazy. I think the twins are a little bit desperate right now and we'll do something kind of stupid and, and give him way more money than, He's probably worth, but good for him. I mean, like you said, he's he could not have set this up any better if he if he got to handpick the scenario. You know, the market's gone crazy, free agent prices have skyrocketed, and he's the only big name shortstop left on the market. And there's multiple teams who really need a shortstop still bidding. So great for him. I hope he gets every dime he can get. Um, I hope that for every player because you know these guys are the product. They're a lot of times. You know, fans will tell you, well, these guys are just employees. You know, they're just like, you know, grocery store employees. And that's just, I hate that analogy because it's not true at all. You know, these guys are not just employees of teams, but they're the product. They're what we watch. You know, they're the entertainment. They're they're the entire sport are the players. So I hope these guys get every dime they can. I hope Dansby gets every dime he can. And I, I don't think it'll be with the Braves. And that's, you know, that's sad for a lot of people. I don't get as tied to players as other people do. You know, once you see Brian McCann sign with the Yankees and and Tom Glavin sign with the Mets or, you know, whatever, when you're growing up, I, it, I that allure kind of left me a while ago. But So I don't get as tied up in individual players as some people do. But some people really do fall in love with these guys and, and get really emotionally tied to them. And, you know, seeing Freddie go last year and Dansby go this year, I know it's going to be tough for some people. But 
unfortunately, I think that's what's going to happen. I think the Braves are going to have a new shortstop. Yeah, you know, Alex was asked about the shortstop position during the oh the trade call on Murphy the other night, and uh, you know obviously he's not going to give up anything. As far as that goes, he said, you know, if the season started tomorrow, it'd be a competition between Orlando Arcia and Von Grissom because that's who they've got on the roster, you know. So, you know, you can't read much into that because there's a, the season doesn't start tomorrow or, you know, spring training doesn't start tomorrow. So a lot of things can change. And, uh, I mean, if you just go back to the winter meetings, the start of the winter meetings, he said he intended keeping Darno, Contreras, and, and Manny Pena you know, on the roster, and here we are, you know, this this week, just yeah. a couple of weeks later, you see how things change. I do think they'll probably, if once the Swanson thing comes down, if he doesn't come back, I do think they probably sign a veteran, keep Arcia in that um, utility role. But I thought it was interesting. Yeah. He, he talked about, uh, he said, you know, Vaughn's been working out with uh, Ron Washington uh, this off season. He said that's going to continue and said that Wash has been raving about him. And he said, what's significant about that is, is Wash doesn't rave about anybody. Um, you know, it's that's up, but that's in the article on the sites. You know, you can go check out those comments. Uh, you know, that, and the, you know, I, I'm like you, I look at, I'll, at these projection systems a lot. I'm excited to see what Zips has to say, but you know, they're really high on Von Grissom. So yep. very you know, high. I, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, if he's got a, I think he there is a chance he could go to spring training and and win the job. Maybe not if they sign a Elvis Andrus or a veteran guy, but you know I think he's going to have a real chance to take that job this year if Swanson doesn't come back. But it's going to be fascinating to see kind of how they how they maneuver, you know, and go from here and uh, with the rest of the roster. I still wouldn't completely rule out them shedding some payroll you know i mean you and i've said it before if they can save one million dollars of the 37 owed to marcelo zuna i think they have to take it you know eddie rosario they could possibly could possibly uh move him along and then that would free up a, a little bit uh but they're getting pretty close to that luxury tax and i mean you know there's a chance maybe opening day they're not they're not in the tax but if we have a anywhere close to a typical trade deadline they're going to be a taxpayer this year you know, yeah. it would require them basically not doing anything, you know, to stay out of it. So I think there's still a lot of off season left and, you know, we're still going to, we're going to be back here discussing more moves uh, the closer we get to spring training. Yeah, I've actually, and this is what I wrote about to the other side. This is kind of the point of what I wrote is I've actually kind of switched my mindset to acquiring a shortstop to acquiring a, an outfielder. I think the Braves need another outfielder. I, I, I trust you know, and kind of my reasoning was if you if you ask me who do I trust to do the job more, do I trust Grissom and Arcia to, to handle the shortstop job more, or do I trust Ozuna and Rosario to handle kind of the left field DH role? You know, I trust Grissom and Arcia to do their job more, and therefore I I would I would actually put my eggs in, in the outfielder basket if I'm the Braves for the rest of the offseason. I don't think they'll sign Swanson. I think he'll sign somewhere else. I don't think they'll sign a, well, they could sign a, you know, kind of a cheap veteran just to, to have some insurance in case our, you know, Grissom is not good or, you know, struggles defensively, which is a very real possibility. Let's not sugarcoat that. Like, you know, I think he's going to hit, but how good defensively he is, is a big, big, big deal. And Ron Washington can say all the nice things he wants, but until this kid goes out there and remember, there's no shift. There's no shifting anymore. So you're just on your own, playing your own position, you know, until he goes out and does it at a high level and 
it doesn't have to be elite, but it can't it can't be a disaster. And until he does that, then there's going to be questions about it. And you know, I, I do see the Braves maybe going to get like a you know a, a veteran that's got a little bit more stability with a glove. But I want to see the Braves add a left fielder. I want to see them add an outfielder that can hit. Um, they do need to replace Dansby's offensive value. He actually did bring a quite a bit of offensive value last year. Some of that will be made up by the fact that uh, you know Acuna and Ozzy should have better years with the bat. But I would love to see them add one more bat. I'd love to see them add something like Michael Conforto or Andrew Benatendi, just a solid bat. It might involve you know shedding Rosario's left-handed bat and and some of his money. But I do think the Braves need. I do, I'm fine if they go relatively cheap at shortstop. I don't want them to just do nothing, though. I, 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 I want, you know, there needs to be some sort of upgrade to the weaknesses of the team. And the weaknesses of the team that we stated way back at the beginning of the offseason was shortstop, left field, DH, right? I mean, we talked about it a bunch. And, you know, don't go cheap everywhere. You know, if you want to go cheap at shortstop, fine. You know, it's not the best scenario, but... Fine, I can live with that. But if you're going to do that, then go get a left fielder. Go get somebody that can add some pop to the lineup. So that's what I'm looking for. I, I do think they'll do something. I don't think they're done. Um, they really haven't spent anything in free agency yet. And, and I, you know, who knows how much money they have. You know, there's been conflicting reports on that. Alex said that they're not, the tax really isn't an issue for them. If they If it's the right player and the right deal, they'll go over. So who knows? You know, no one knows. But I do want to see them add at least a bat. You know, if you can't get Swanson, which I don't think they will, you know, go find a go find a left fielder that can hit a little bit. That would be, I think, that would be, you know, I can live with the the off season if if they at least go and do that. It's going to be interesting. I mean, still a lot of lot of off season left. I know it feels like the, you know a lot of the heavy lifting around the uh, majors has been done. But one thing I, I was reading this today too. You know, one thing these sky high free agent prices are, are doing is is igniting the trade market a little bit. So. You know, yeah. it wouldn't be surprising to see them come out of left field with something. You know, I don't. It's hard to even speculate because they've done that to us so many times. You know, they'll they'll <laughs> end up with a guy that we didn't even see, we didn't even think was, yeah. uh, we didn't even consider. So, but you know, we'll we'll see where it's at. And uh, I think I would look today of seventy two days to the start of spring training. I mean, it's going to be here before you know it. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, uh, I think that's going to wrap us up for today, barring something unforeseen. We're going to be back next week, and then we'll probably uh, take a week off right after Christmas, in between Christmas and New Year's. But I think the plan next uh, for next week is to record again. So, you know, but uh, stay tuned on the site. Um, uh, go read Stephen's great article about uh, the need for them to go get a left fielder uh, today. I thought there was some good stuff in there. Um, you know, we've got we've got content flowing, and we're going to be that way right through the end of December, through the holidays. So, and uh, we'll talk to you guys again next week. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.